0: Hello and welcome to Oracle, a podcast by the Knowledge Portal, AI Doctrina. I'm your host, Darmin Segrin. Here, we discuss the latest in issues relating to the intersection of law and ethics with artificial intelligence. AI-centered technology is being adopted at a tremendously fast pace in the human resources sector, with the availability of big data and sources to store and process It is now possible to use data insights for multiple applications. Whether it is in talent acquisition or employee engagement, these technologies are being called into question from an ethical perspective. Today, we have the opportunity to hear from a developer and deployer of AI technologies in the HR sector. With us today is Sharma Lachu, CEO of Ascendo Technologies. While he'll be sharing the Ascendo experience, we are also looking at the sector overall. Let's dive right in. Sharma, maybe you could start us off with telling us a bit about what Ascendo does and paint us a picture of the HR sector's landscape at the moment.
1: Good afternoon, uh, Dharmay. Thank you very much for having me. Um, So yes, uh, Ascendo Technologies is a uh, HR technology business uh, predominantly focused on the deployment of making sure we give people the opportunity to be the best versions of themselves at work. Um, so all everything we do within our organization is, is built on that one premise, right? So how do we allow people to be the best versions of themselves at work? Uh, why we think this is important is because I think we do work more than we do anything else in our lives, more than we sleep, more than we spend time with our family. Um, so the, the impact of uh, inefficiency at work Uh, leads to a lot of other things. Uh, So we feel at Ascendo that that is the place we need to spend the most amount of time at. Um, I think the industry you asked about, typically we break into two two key segments, right? People outside the organization, people inside the organization. Uh, I think there's a lot of advancement going on in uh, recruitment technology. uh, and, And a lot of it revolves around ingestion of social data, Uh, A lot of it revolves around how we try and pre, um, sorry, how proactively determine and identify talent before even the talent knows that they are the ones applying for the organization. Uh, A lot of that is going on in the market. Uh, And there's some very advanced uh, organizations focusing on that. And then on the other hand, you've got companies like us who predominantly focus on internal. Uh, org- uh, talent, right? And the reason for that is, you know, pre-COVID, there was a lot of the understanding that, you know, any problem you had within an organization, the simple answer or the solution would be to go out and hire. Uh, during COVID, uh, that pendulum swung a lot into uh, an environment where, you know, everything was internal talent, right? You, you optimize internal talent. We feel the world post-COVID is going to find a balance between these two environments. Uh, And people are going to first try and optimize internal talent before they go out for external environments. So in in looking at where the market sits, I think there is that very nice balance of -of tug-of-wall between organizations trying to figure out how to run the pre-employment journey and the post-employment journey.
0: And what about technology use in HR? How has that been advancing?
1: Uh, I think there are some companies doing some very interesting things out there. So maybe let me start with with the industry's lens first, and then later we can talk a little bit more about it. And um, the industry, I think, uh, you know, the the focus on pre higher tech a lot revolves around ingestion modeling, right? Uh, so the algorithms are about looking at data that's readily available, uh, social data predominantly, are uh, pulling that, trying to build an overview of people. Uh, and giving uh, recruitment managers, business leaders, some sort of an insight to that journey. Uh, you know, we, we can talk about uh, what that means later on, uh, but you know, the, that's typically where a lot of the focus is uh, ingestion modeling uh, and then trying to drive that process. And then there are companies like ours um, that look more at machine learning, look more at um, beyond the, the traditional algorithms, Uh, wanting to understand NLP, uh, NLU, to be able to to drive further insights, uh, to see how we can use information, uh, not just structured data, but unstructured data also, to be able to help business leaders augment their experience. Uh, So I think that the first thing that is important uh, is in any company that, that does this kind of work is what is the philosophy of AI behind are why you're doing what you're doing, right? Uh, For us, example, uh, is always been about the elimination of implicit bias in people's decision making. Uh, I am very careful when I use the word uh, elimination of implicit bias because the, the human mind can never eliminate implicit bias. But what we try and do is to be able to help organizations understand where this implicit bias kicks in And how do you enable to to counter-react for these kind of things? So as you start looking at that, and that's the philosophy of work for us, right? Eliminating implicit bias. And in doing so, we've got to be able to understand all the elements that kick in to eliminate implicit bias. So I think that's why for us, for example, there's a lot of NLP that's involved. There's a lot of reinforced learning methodologies within our machine learning that's involved. Uh, beyond just you know, looking at algorithmic profiles.
0: One of the questions that has come up recently in terms of ethics is on the issue of training data that has been used for machine learning systems. Yep. On one hand, there is internal data that may be obtained from projects or clients directly, which raises its own series of questions. But on the other is data that may be purchased, legally at times, from data brokers. What are your thoughts on these data sources?
1: Sure. So I think the one thing we are very cognizant about is we do not want to use uh, purchased data from you know the, the earlier uh, example you gave, Frank. So what we typically do is the latter environment. So where we feel there's a lot more robustness in data is when the data is internalized, when the data is real. Uh, and we use that and build a data lake, an anonymized data lake to to make sure that the reinforced learning methodologies are able to amalgamate all the data from all the learning from all the clients. Anonymized, of course. right? Uh, One client cannot see what the other is doing, uh, but it sits in an anonymized lake to constantly keep learning from that process. And then what we do um, is we build our own training data as well. Uh, and that data typically comes from the learning we take from the um, reinforced learning uh, outcomes. And we try and build new scenarios. We try and build internally uh, new environments. So then we we imbue um, a lot of uncertainty into the data to, to see how it constantly reacts and learns from that data. So I think it has to be a live journey. I think it has to be something that is constant, continuous. Uh, but we are, um, I think maybe... We are taking the harder route because it's a lot easier to just go out and buy data that's available out there. Uh, But we don't want to do that because the veracity, I think, is important when you speak about the ethical components of this journey.
0: Anonymization is a commonly used term these days, and at times seems to act as a license to use data in any way, shape or form once it has been collected. This, of course, raises numerous issues, one of which is the issue of consent from a privacy perspective. And here we are considering a little beyond your basic personal data scope. Data such as performance Mm -hmm. data, for example, an employee's so-called consent may be questionable in the context of the traditional Mm master-servant relationship. This has brought about a question of the scope of personal data that requires protection and what some might term business data. What are your thoughts on this?
1: Yep, so I I think there are a couple of things that we have to look at. Right? So number one is who owns that data? Uh, say, for example, performance data that you mentioned. Uh, that data, from, from our point of view, is not the individual's data, it's the organization's data. Uh, where the individual come into play is you know within what we do, uh, we have a candidate app that looks at you know very individualized data uh, that even the company doesn't get get access to so the individual gets to add things like you know their heart rate example uh, so I, I use a Garmin smartwatch I want to load that data in to be able to look at stress factors uh, to help me become better at my job example right that data even the organization doesn't get access to so there's a very clear segregation of what is individual data that I don't want to share with the organization and what is organizational data uh, so where Ascendo comes from is, you know, where individual data kicks in, the individual has an option to opt into uh, sharing this uh, additional data point. Where the organization's data come into play, then the organization has the right to be able to use that data to enhance the decisions that they are making. So That is our point of view. Uh, and I feel... At this point, at least um, in the Southeast Asian region, uh, the, the journey that we have to take into account right, is the power balance between employment, or sorry uh, power balance of employment between employer and employee. Um, we live in a very high power distance culture. Right? We, we need to be um, cognizant of this right. So in a very high power distance culture, organizations traditionally believe, that any data belongs to them, and they've got the right to use it anyhow they want. So I think the first step in trying to resolve this matter is to be able to clearly distinguish what is organizational data and how you can use it against what is personal data and how you want to protect the individual uh, from being bullied, as as you said, being bullied into giving this data without their consent. So I think from our point of view, uh, it always has to be a segregation uh, and where it's personalized, where it's individual, you create a model where it's an opt-in. but more importantly, that you don't penalize the individual for not opting in. Uh, you know, creating an opt-in model is easy, but you know very often you if you don't choose to opt-in, then you get penalized for it right? So how then do you create a model where you don't penalize the individual for not opting in is also equally important, I think.
0: Taking the example that you cited earlier relating to health data, you are finding non-medical organizations using medical data without the same level of accountability as, say, a hospital. Health data has, of course, been viewed in many jurisdictions as highly sensitive data. Do you or HR technology companies feel a burden handling such data?
1: Oh, I think we have to. Um, If you start the journey of wanting to use this data, then you first must start the journey of understanding how to protect this data. Um, you know, it is too easy to have a very interesting conversation about how you know we are using AI and data to, to do really fun stuff. But if you don't talk about um, how you're going to choose to protect the data, then I think you're having the wrong conversation. So I think for us at least, uh, and for many companies I know that are uh, doing this kind of work, the initial conversation is the ethical consideration and the, not so much legal, but you know, are we protecting the right things? Are we doing enough to be able to drive uh, a level of confidence from the individual that you sharing this data doesn't put you at risk in any other way? So I think that has to come first, that the conversation has to come first before uh, the conversation about, oh, look at us, we're so sexy, we're using AI and data. Uh, so, if that happens, um, then I think you are in the right, or at least on the right path. Uh, do I think we are doing, um, or do I think we have solved this problem for a global situation? Absolutely not. Uh, but I think it has to be a step by step approach. Uh, then the first step is have you had this conversation about are we protecting people enough? Uh, once you have that conversation, then you can start progressing. Uh, and and start driving better outcomes in terms of doing that. So whether, you know, things like GDPR compliance, um, in Malaysia, you don't need to be GDPR compliant. uh, But why do we want to go get GDPR compliance? Um, All these kind of things, I guess, matter because the philosophy of data management and data protection should go beyond checking boxes, uh, should go beyond certification, uh, should be genuine. Right. And I think once people recognize that whatever you are trying to do is genuine in nature, is trying to um, protect and, and be real, honest in looking to try and help me as an individual, then I think that trust gets built. Uh, you cannot expect the trust uh, from the uh, get-go. I think it is wrong for companies like us to pretend and believe that you know individuals just because they give they blindly give data on social media that they'll also blindly give data to us. Um, but why I think this is important? I, I think I need to go back to that right? I think quite some time back, Fitbit did a study about sleep, right? And they broke so many um, myths that we typically had about sleep uh, prior to its understanding. And you know, typical studies uh, used to take anywhere you know between 200 to maybe 2,000, 3,000 people. Uh, Fitbit ran data with, I think, something like 1.6 billion data points, not 1.6 billion people, but 1.6 billion data points to be able to give you a conclusion about how sleep patterns affect performance. I think that's where it really needs to go, right? Number one, can you protect the data? And when you can protect the data, what is the value that you now bring Uh, to solving problems that can be valuable to individuals, valuable to organizations.
0: On that notion of trust, let me bring you to the issue of uh, workplace surveillance or bossware. Bossware has come into the limelight, especially since the move towards working from home. And while some view this as simply an extension of the workplace environment, others have pointed to the intrusion of privacy. Some of these systems are built to take photos through a webcam every few minutes and others recording every aspect of your device usage. What are your thoughts on Bossware and in fact, other forms of employee surveillance?
1: So let me, let me give you a, a personal opinion first and then I'll talk about it from you know, maybe the industry. Um, personally, I, I always feel this uh, is a matter of how you want to run your business. Right? You can treat people really badly, uh, and still make a lot of money, or you can treat people with respect and still make a lot of money. Right? Uh, we've heard many examples, and let's not talk only high tech. Yeah, uh, let's talk business in, in general. We've heard of many stories, you know, of people like um, what's Foxconn, uh, you know, Apple's biggest contractor, who instead of fixing the work environment, uh, put out suicide nets so when people jump off the building, they don't die. Um, is that solving problems or, you know, is that, you know, moving problems away from saying, look, if you want to go die, go die somewhere else, just go die at work. Um, And and then take into account, you've got organizations like, you know, Wagman's uh, Food Store, which is a supermarket essentially at the end of the day, who look after their people uh, so much better uh, than, you know, even tech organizations do. So I think number one, it goes down to the philosophy of how you want to make money. Uh, Businesses run traditionally because of shareholder value. And everybody understands this, right? But how you treat people will, will really drive either sustainability of you making that, that that vision a success or, you know, a very volatile journey. So that, that's my personal opinion. Uh, taking that opinion into the industry and into work, I feel sometimes we, we lack the understanding of how to generate output. Uh, You know, organizations, you will find typically organizations that do severe uh, bossware solutions are what I call digital pretenders. Uh, These are traditional organizations, uh, and I shall not name types of industries, but traditional organizations who are now trying to fit their work model into a digital native environment. You very rarely see digital native businesses go down this route, right? Because digital native businesses were designed from the ground up to be output driven, uh, not activity driven. Uh, Where you find a lot of bossware is when an organization is used to being activity driven and the managers feel that it is your right to be able to look at my people, uh, to see how much work they are doing. Uh, And this comes from, I feel, a culture of no, how late do you go home? Are you going home before I go home? And now, because I cannot measure all of this, I want to be able to implement this kind of stuff. Um, so I think this kind of data is not valuable in terms of trying to look at performance because they are what what I term uh, Mirage data. Right I'm putting up a show uh, just to be able to, to, to make you happy. So that's one side of this. The point then comes another component of this environment, right? So I'll give you an example of a company uh, in the Valley that has done something really exciting. Uh, but again, this is where I, I think people freak out when I talk about you know, how you use data. Right? But in this company's lanyard, uh, they've put a small camera and a mic for every employee. Uh, and mind you, this is only a 500, 600-man business, yeah? So it's not as if it's a huge organization and things. It is a relatively small startup, Uh, for global standards, about 500 men. And they've put a microphone and a camera in every lanyard. Uh, And when this was non-work from home, the purpose of it was to try and identify um, organizational network analysis. Who does Sharma speak to most in the organization? Is there a different tone when Sharma speaks to Darwin and when Sharma speaks to, you know, uh, colleague X? Um, who does Sharma go to when he wants to speak about ideas? How quickly does ideas get solved in this process? Those kind of data, while it's extremely exciting for somebody like me to be able to go in and look at, I think the culture in which we operate also may not allow for it. Right? So I think in looking at how we, we design data to be able to move into insights, uh, we have to take into account the culture we operate in. We have to take into account the level of maturity of businesses to be able to do this, the level of maturity of individuals to be able to accept that I'm willing to give this kind of data, and then overlay all of that with the ethical consideration that I'll not misuse this data um, to be detrimental to you. And I think that's the biggest problem uh, about data use in HR technology, right? The, The lack of trust from employee to employer is not about, I don't want to give you data. It's that every time I give you data, you use it against me. Um, and that's the trust uh, contract that you have to build with your employee, I think, very quickly.
0: We've used the term ethics quite a bit today, but I'd like to explore a little about what it means to an organization. While we find the term being picked up by companies, its actual application is quite relative. From a practitioner's point of view, like myself, I can safely say that there is an unfortunate lack of direction in terms of applied ethics. The question I'm heading to is in two parts. First, how do organizations in your space approach ethics implementation? And by that I mean, is it data scientist teams sitting among themselves discussing the appropriate standard to follow? Or maybe a C-suite-led ethical bar, such as a CEO's personal standards? And in the second part, do you consider ethics training at the implementation level a necessary feature of an organization such as yours which develops and deploys ai technology
1: so i think the the short answer to both is absolutely yes um the longer answer to this is you know we are relatively nascent in this journey of understanding ai I think even the in the US, you know, the, the I, I could be wrong, but I think it's the AI initiative, uh, the, the the coming together of the four biggest AI players uh, to kind of self-regulate, right? Uh, the the journey of this, I think, starts with the organization itself, and this is why I early on went back to the philosophy of what it is you're trying to solve for. If your philosophy is right. Then I think it makes it a lot easier uh, because the regulations today is relatively. I mean, I, I I don't want to be pointing fingers or anything, but you know the 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 regulations are relatively archaic. The regulations are relatively easy to adhere to, right? We are, like, for example, yeah, it's very straightforward, right? So uh, Sando is, is a. ISO twenty seven thousand one organization. It's a GDPR compliant organization, um, but is that sufficient? Is is the question I, I always ask the team, right? Uh, so for me, this starts with the leadership in the organization. Are you the kind of organization that are willing to take shortcuts, that are willing to ignore ethical uh, considerations in order to achieve something that is short term and easy to go into? Um, or are you willing to fight the longer battle? Uh, and this is, it, it, philosophically, it's a very simple answer. Yeah? But you know, commercially, it is not. Um, we have taken the point of view that you know, everything we do has to be beyond regulation, has to be responsible. Uh, because at the end of the day, in what we do or in, in the industry, every time you talk about HR data, you're talking about actual people. Uh, And you're talking about their livelihoods. And this is very, very important to what we do. Any company within the space, right? It has to be important to what we do. You are impacting people's livelihoods, whether, you know, in recruitment tech, it's about hiring or or not hiring somebody uh, in what we do, whether it's about reskilling, upskilling, mobility, succession planning, uh, you know, all these kinds of environments. It is absolutely critical. You understand the significance of the impact of what it is you are doing. So for us, ethical is not compliance. Ethical is about genuine responsibility. And in doing that, I think you have to do beyond a lot of things that the legal framework requires. Um, So within Ascendo, I think it starts with the leadership uh, and then it goes to the the data engineers, the the AI guys. uh, And then we always have a sounding board. So whether, do we have an internal board that looks at it? No, we don't. But we have an advisory team that we always sound this out to, um, some of whom traditionally are not, and we designed it this way, right? are not AI guys because we don't want them to understand the complexity. We want them to look at the simpleness of what we're trying to achieve and see if, hey, hang on a minute, are you pushing the boundaries too much here? Uh, Every time we talk about this, we talk about Terminator uh, and and is this going to get there? right? Uh, and, And I think that is important. Uh, for us to to be able to understand where we want to go. Uh, in terms of talking so so yes, uh, I absolutely feel it is important to be able to have at least a sounding board, whether you have a formal advisory board, I know, it, 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 at the end of the day is something that um, is a commercial decision that you have to make, right? But at least a sounding board of experts and non-experts who have very high ethical standards, that will help you through this decision process. The second part is about internal training, and I think that is absolutely uh, critical. Uh, everyone who is touching data must know um, the impact and the reciprocity of being blasé with data. Uh, this is absolutely critical. And sometimes, you know we, we'll, we have to learn, right? Sometimes you learn it the hard way, sometimes you, you preempt these things, but you have to be very, very critical about who touches data, um, what their level of understanding of data is, and how they align to the organization's understanding of how to treat data.
0: As a last question, Sharma, I'd like to take you to the issue of accountability. Recently, Spain came up with regulations which effectively gives a legal right to a segment of gig workers to demand explanations from platforms that use their services specifically on algorithms that impact their employment. This is set to come into effect in August and is possibly the first of Mm. its kind in the world. I wanted to hear your thoughts on explainable AI or XAI. What are your thoughts in terms of implementation and if there's a commercial consequence in terms of taking XAI as the predominant consideration in artificial intelligence
1: development? Uh, Very good question. Uh, it, it's something we, we, we really talk a lot about in, in Ascendo, right? And I think the industry we are in uh, also talks a lot about this process. The, the one word I really don't like, um, especially when AI companies try and come out, is black box. Uh, oh, our AI is black box. Oh, sorry, I can't share with you because it's, a, it's our black box. Um, that is, is, I'm, I'm again, my personal humble opinion, and I could be very wrong here. But I feel every time you do that, it's your get out of jail card uh, for not wanting to explain how your algorithm works. Um, Ascendo was very, very cognizant uh, when we decided we wanted to do this, that you cannot, we've got to be open to criticism. We've got to be open to people questioning us. Um, so we always went out with a glass, glass box approach, right? Uh, so our clients have access to our algorithm logic They don't have access to our algorithm coding, but they have access to our algorithm logic. The individuals have access to our algorithm logics. Um, People will will always challenge us. People will always criticize us. But the point of view I take is this journey is the same as machine learning, right? Um, What we have to be able to accept is if you are going to use people's data, you must accept that the point of view that people bring into their data and how they use it. Um, it is very. You may not have to necessarily take everything they say, but you have to constantly listen to what that criticism is and be able to look deeply within yourself to see whether that is actually uh, a good point of view or otherwise. Right? People may become very emotional, especially when they don't get a promotion or not get hired or whatever that process is. Uh, but you've got to be able to make sure, number one, you are constantly defensible. Uh, because I go back to the whole idea of, you know, if you're using people data, then you are you are dealing with livelihoods, right? So if you take that as the principle, then the first point of view is you have to be defensible. Uh, and that means you have to become glass box. I absolutely don't like this idea of black box. And I think the more mature AI organizations are all going down the XAI AI. Uh, model, right? I should be able to explain this journey uh, in very simple terms. I remember anecdotally, let me talk about one very small story here. One of very early clients uh, who was a statistician, CEO of a large organization, who by profession was a statistician and a mathematician. So he looked at what we did, you know, questioned a lot of it, uh, then sat down with us and said, you know, Sharma, a lot of people talk about AI and ML and all this kind of stuff. If you can Take your AI and ML, put it into an Excel and show me how it works. I buy your logic. If you cannot, then you don't even buy your logic. That was what he said. Now, whether that's true or not, up for debate. Uh, But the point was he wanted to see in simple terms, how are you coming up with the logic of your recommendation? If you cannot show me in simple terms how that works, then I'm not going to believe what you say just because you say Uh, And that started off, I think, a realization in us that from the get-go, we've got to be able to take this approach. We have to accept that people will always want to understand people's decisions. And that drove us to this um, outcome, I guess, that we will open ourselves for a bit more criticism. We will open ourselves for a bit more... um, due diligence, if you want to use that word. Uh, but we feel that in doing so, we are also constantly learning and we are constantly becoming better. Uh, and I think everybody should eventually start going down that route. I think um, uh, Tesla is, is looking at opening up uh, how their uh, algorithms for self-driving cars uh, are working. I think Google is doing similar work. I think Microsoft is doing similar work. I am not putting us in the same... Um, Position as them, but I'm saying that the philosophy has to be: if you are talking about hiding how you make decisions, then you are not comfortable with the kind of decision quality you are making.
0: Karma, thank you for speaking to us today, and we look forward to future developments in the HR tech scene with Ascendo.
1: Thank you, thank you, Dermot. You, you, I think what you guys are doing is really exciting. I think what you guys are doing is, is refreshing. Uh, you know, it's something the the region needs. So keep pushing, keep grinding, Uh, looking forward to your success as much as ours.
0: After the interview was done, Sharma and I continued the conversation. We agreed that we have differing perspectives on a number of issues. For example, on data ownership, I could not completely agree with the notion that derived data automatically is assigned ownership to the processor, while the subject is afforded rights only where there's personally identifiable information. Also, on ethical standards, I believe there is an increasing need for professionals in the field that have based knowledge in rights that affect individuals and society at large to have a larger role in the decision-making process. Whatever the perspective, we both agree that our views are shaped by our backgrounds and approaches to the field. While the theory of the subject is critical, operationalization will be difficult without an understanding of the commercial realities. This is why the conversation must continue. That's all from us at this time. If you enjoyed the content, do follow us for more. You can get more of our materials, including our newsletter, Anantio, at www.ai-doctrina.info. See you at the next episode.